our God, the God that we both know, or all of us know, is the God of the God that is unexpected. Things that are unexpected. That's who our God is. The Bible tells us when we open it up that our God does things different than the world. So if you're here today to learn about the world, you're in the wrong place. Because we open up our Bible and we look at a God that does things differently. He does the unexpected. He goes beyond what the Bible says, human ways, human ideas, human philosophies. He goes beyond. It says his ways are higher, his thoughts are bigger, and beyond what we can understand. And the truth is, that's what makes our God good. That's why we celebrate each Sunday because I come to church... Because I expect God to do something amazing. Whatever is going to happen, light strung up today, whatever happens, we believe God can do the unimaginable. Because if you don't believe that, why are you here? You can get that on TV, on a news channel, somebody that's going to promise you something and you want to happen. But here we believe God can do anything and transform us. Here's what the Bible says. If you have your Bible, it says 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. Here's what it says. For the foolish... Of God, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. We can put all the humans together, and God is still stronger. We can put all the great minds together, but God is still wiser. And here's what happens we still turn to man philosophies and mindsets. And so because of that, we limit our relationship with God. So this summer, we've been doing a sermon series called Miracles. And I'm really excited about it because it's helping our church rebuild from the pandemic. The pandemic kind of took the steam out of all churches. And a couple of things happened. We saw that the church needed some help. There's a huge divide in the church. I was talking to someone last week about how it's kind of stopped people from coming to church. Not because they don't believe that they don't know if the church is the right place to be. But this summer, God has been faithful to us. And we're going to see God start to rebuild us. And this church, maybe unlike any other church, but I'm not saying that like I know. I'm just saying we're going to do it with love. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. If you don't know that verse, here's what it says. And I'll just paraphrase it. It says, love God with everything you are. And then others. And then the Bible says that love or loving kindness brings us to repentance. When we welcome anybody and everybody in the doors, it's not my job to tell you that you're a sinner. It's God's job through the Holy Spirit to point out, hey, there's things in your life that are blocking you from me. And it's that loving kindness that brings us to repentance. So we know long ago that God spoke, and that's why this church exists. We are a love offering to this community, this pleasant valley. And we believe that that love will change the world. And we've seen those miraculous things happen, and we're excited about that. And so we've got two more weeks of this miracle series, and we're excited. And we've had some amazing things happen online, outside, you out there? and indoors. If you don't know and you're online and you're looking out at our church, we have three ways that we minister. We do inside in the air conditioner. We've got a group of people outside that love the outdoors. And we've got this awesome online service that continues to speak to people's hearts. And it's been amazing. Let me ask you some questions. And they're rhetorical. I don't really need an answer. I really want to provoke your thinking is, do you remember the last time that uh, the love that saved you? Do you remember that day that the love of God saved you into the kingdom? Do you remember that moment? Or even better, do you remember the people 
or the person that led you to Christ and invited you to church or to a Bible study or to a youth group? Do you remember when love touched your life? What about this? Do you remember all the circumstances? All the things that kind of led up to that moment where God did a miracle, where God saved you, where God redeemed you, where there was forgiveness, where there was healing. Do you remember all of that? Today we're going to read a story about how God uses anything, the unexpected, to do wonderful things for this community. But I remember this young girl who brought me to faith. She's my sister. Her name's Kim. And here's how it worked. Kim kind of, I don't know if you know her, but she's been like this her whole life. And so my sister um, at one point was unexpectedly invited to a youth group. In high school, she was invited to go to a youth group. We believed we were raised Catholic and we had faith and my mom took us to Easter and Christmas. We, we, we understood God. It's not that we didn't know God, but my sister was invited to a youth group unexpectedly. And when she went there, guess what happened? She got saved. She got saved in the name of Jesus Christ just by some high school friend that used to play softball with her going, hey, would you like to come to my youth group? Unexpectedly, God saved her. Now, here's the thing. I'm pretty sure that morning that she went to that church service, she didn't wake up and go, yep, I'm going to get saved today. Because that's not how it works. It's through the events of life, through the unexpected, that things start to work and move. And this young girl, her faith and her, her walk in God started then, and it's trickled down to my mom and my dad and me and our family. All but one are really following Jesus because of one 17-year-old standing up and saying, I choose Jesus unexpectedly. Yeah. And here's the thing. What I know about God is once I know that he can change like he's changed me, I expect change. I expect to come to church and see miraculous things because I believe in this God of the universe that breathes out stars and, and, and breathes universes and looks at us and still loves us individually but looks at us in a grand scale, miraculously. I hope you see the expect, unexpected things in your life. I hope you can kind of open up, and if you don't, just ask God, God, show me some of the things that I kind of lost. The, the farther I get away from my salvation experience kind of growing, the more that I see God planting things in my mind saying, this was unexpected, and this was beautiful. God did and is doing unexpected things so that you and I can be a testimony to this world. And he does it for a purpose. And you know what the purpose is? to show other people how big and powerful and wonderful God is. And he wants you to be blown away by the unexpected. Too often we put God in this little box. And here's the thing. If I just have a Bible like this, it's a box. But when I open it up, it comes life. And then all of a sudden, anything can happen. And so the job is to open it up. And not just because I'm telling you, open it up, taste and see the goodness that's in the board. And you will find that this goodness will flow out of your body and into other people's lives and the unexpected will be miraculous.
Today I'm going to talk about one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I've used it a couple times as a sermon analogy, but this is the first time I've ever taught about it. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to 2 Kings and see in the Old Testament. It's before Jesus came, and it's a foreshadow of what's going to happen when the Savior comes. But 2 Kings in the back, and it's uh, uh, the history of kind of what happened in this, the place of Kings. And so before we get started, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And here's the challenge, church. As we start rebuilding the church, we need to start bringing our Bible again, bringing it back. I promise you it doesn't have COVID. And if it does, put some hand sanitizer on it and let it open up. But let's open up our Bibles and let's pray. And let's pray that God is going to do something unexpected. I know someone just tuned in online and they're going, what is this church thing? What is this journey thing? Is that guy as funny as he says he is? And is the word going to speak to me online? I promise you, if you're here today and you believe in this big God or if you're needing something bigger than your life, that the Holy Spirit will allow God to speak. So let's pray. Father, we claim you as our Lord. And we know that you are a big God that wants to do wonderful things. And we ask that the text today from the Bible opens up to our heart and soul and that we are ministered and that we feel your love, Lord. And beyond that, that you are going to blow somebody away because you did something unexpected. I pray at the end of service, Lord, that there'll be someone that walks up to that prayer table in the back and they will experience God like they've never done. I pray that through the worship that we have today, through the word and through prayers, that you will do the unexpected. And I pray right now for those that are outside that they feel the love of God and that you change their heart and soul for your glory. Use this moment for your glory right now, Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen. Second Kings chapter 5, great story uh, uh, about a healing in the Bible. Here's what it says. The king of Aram was, had a great admiration from Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victory. So here's what's happening. We have this guy, and his name's Naaman, and he is this commander of the great army. And there's a picture of kind of what's going on. You need to understand the, 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 the idea. So there's this map, and this is above Israel, and this is what we would call Syria today or Turkey. And what's happening is... The kingdom of Israel and Aram are at battles constantly, but there's this great man of God, they say. The Lord has given him great victories through a guy that's an outsider. And that's why this story is so cool because you've got someone that's basically not part of the state of Israel or the country of Israel outside, but the Lord is on his life. It says that he is the chief military commander. He's the top commander in all of the army uh, of Syria or what we know as Aram. And he was actually an enemy of Israel. So this is an interesting part because you see God can do anything. You see the unexpected happen. You've got somebody that they're going to use in the Bible to tell a story that's really from outside the purview or the, the scope of Israel. And it says, but Naaman was a mighty warrior. We'll talk about that in a second, uh, who suffered from leprosy. So in the Bible, there's this kind of, there's this word that says mighty man of valor. Very important word. It's kind of one of the highest prestiges you can get. And here's the five people that are in the Bible that have this same um, notation next to their name. Number one, Gideon, Japheth, David, Jeroboam, Aladia, and this guy from outside of Israel, another country, his name's Naaman. They are mighty men of valor. You know, men's ministries always want to have these shirts that say, I'm a mighty man of valor. It's a high honor. 
And that's what we see here today. There's this great honor. But in the middle of this high honor, there's what we call an unexpected illness. It's called leprosy. Naaman had a lot going for him. I mean, he was at the top of his game. But all of a sudden, he got leprosy, and now he was a leper, and this is a horrible, incurable disease. It's a slow death. But God uses this story so that people today can understand a lot about the gospel and about Jesus coming after this. And so let's see what God has for us today. So I don't know if you guys seen leprosy. I'm going to save you from the illustration pictures because you don't want to see it. If you're really interested, look it up, but I promise you, you'll turn away pretty quickly. It's a horrible disease, but let me kind of spell it out. Ancient leprosy began with small little spots on the skin, red spots like chicken pock. Before long, they got bigger and they started to turn white and sort of shiny and scaly appearances. Soon the spots would spread over the whole body and then the hair would begin to fall out. First the head, then the eyebrows. Then the fingernails and toenails became loose to the point where they started to rot and fall off. Then the joints of the fingers and the toes began to rot and fall off piece by piece. The gums began to shrink where they could hold no longer any teeth and they fell out. Leprosy would keep eating away the body, face and nose, palate, eye sockets, rotten until the victim wasted away in death. There's this guy named William Barclay. He's a pretty famous theologian. Here's what he says about leprosy. Leprosy is a slow death that kills you one inch at a time. Horrible. I mean, people that had leprosy, no hands, no, the, the toes and all this stuff were falling off. And it's a horrible disease. And that's where we begin in verse 2. At this time, the Armenian raiders had invaded the land of Israel. Among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go and see the prophet in Samaria. He, he would uh, heal them of this leprosy. And so now we get to this place in the story where we see unexpected love. This unexpected love, this girl who's been captured and now she's kind of a slave or, you know, a servant of the enemy. And she says to everybody, she says to her master, he's like, I wish you would go to Samaria and just get healed so you wouldn't live in this leprosy. She brings what we consider good news of God to a foreigner and says, hey, I don't know what you believe, but I know that my God, the one that I believe, can heal whatever you're struck with. This young captive girl illustrates the mysterious and unexpected ways of God. I don't know about you, but I need to know that every day I wake up. I need to know when I open up my Bible and when I live for God and when I, uh, when I, when I pray and celebrate. My, my daughter yesterday um, announced that she was having a baby girl. Yeah, thank you. And she says, she goes, Dad, I'm scared. Am I going to be a good mom? And as I left and as we drove back home, I just prayed for her, honey. God is good. And he's going to do the unexpected and it's going to happen in mysterious ways, but it's going to work out. Look at what kind of dad you had and now you turned out. So God is good and he does unexpected things. And that's the thing that we have in God. This woman, this young captive girl She's a woman of sorts. After 13 or 14, they become women. She, 
She is a great example of faith. Now, that reminds me of my sister. Remember my beautiful sister? Now, my sister led me to faith. She brought me to church and talked to me about Jesus. But at one point, she drove down in a Volkswagen. It looks kind of like this. Now, this folks. Hey, this Volkswagen is way better than hers. It just ran. This one's not running right now, but it was like this, and it was held by bailing wire and duct tape. I'm not kidding, the fender and stuff. And one time I remember her driving all the way from San Diego, 90 miles, to pick me up and to turn around and take me to the, my, my family. And during this car ride in this Volkswagen that was barely running, if it got to 60, we were downwind, all right? So... <laughs> So she's telling me, and we're on this drive, and she starts telling me from the beginning, we lived in Anaheim, by the time we were in Disneyland, everything in the world is a distraction. I mean, we're talking about everything. The radio, Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm, that car, that girl, Angel Stadium, the freeway. I mean, I'm talking, by the time I was in San Onofre, everything in the world had been distracting me from devil, um, from Christ, including my sister. She is telling me constantly, for, and finally I give up. I, okay, Kim, whatever I need to do, do I need to give you money? I've given you my heart, and I've given it to Jesus. But listen, her love for me was so unexpected. She drove 90 miles to come and get me just to take me on a drive to go see my dad and tell me how much God loved me. It was so unexpected, and it was a lot, trust me. I was 17, I couldn't take it. But it was beautiful today when I look back at the unexpected things. I look how beautiful that ride was because I knew all she wanted to do is put Christ in my heart. Just like this young captive girl, she was so faithful that even her circumstances didn't stop her from giving out God's amazing love to someone else. It was so unexpected. Now, here's a teaching moment in the Bible. You know how a pastor can get up and go, well, let me give you a little teaching moment. Well, let me give you some teaching. Here's what the Bible says. Raising your children right gives you many unexpected benefits. Here's what it says in Proverbs 22, 6. It says, train up your ch a child in the way that he should or she should go. And, and when he or she is older, they will do not depart from it. So when you train your kids correctly, when you bring them to church and they know that, what do we do on Sundays? We go to church, we go have lunch or go have coffee afterwards. We celebrate Christ and we live for Christ. It says, if you train your kids up correctly... That at some point, even when they're captive in a foreign country, they're going to preach the gospel. And that's what this young girl did. She was raised by parents that believed in a God that can do wonder, uh, wonderful things. And because of that, she shared it with her master going, my God can heal you. I don't know what God you believe, but my God, he can heal you. Here's what verse 4 says. So Naaman told the king what the, girl, uh, the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of an introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying gifts of, in some of your translations it says talents, but here in the NLT it spells out what it was, carrying 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing, and a letter sent to the king of Israel. And with this letter he says, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of leprosy. Now, there's a lot of smart people in the world, and somebody kind of smarter than I am figured out how much was this worth today. If these gifts were brought here today, it would be worth $1.2 million. So it was an enormous amount of wealth that this man is bringing with this letter, I want to be healed. And so 
This shows how desperate Naaman was for healing and even better how uh, gracious the king was and how the king wanted Naaman to be healed from this leprosy. It's a beautiful moment where his leader, the guy above him, is trying to help him from this horrible disease because it was unexpected. He was a great man of God, but he had this illness in him that was destroying him one inch at a time. Verse 7 says, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, am I God that I can give life or take it away? Am I God? Am I the one that breathes life and takes away life? I, I love this because uh, it's kind of humble. Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight. And so this is kind of an awkward exchange because you would think it would be maybe an honor of sorts, but really it's not. When the king of Israel, his name's uh, Jeroram, uh, read the letter, he was upset. And it's kind of understandable, but here's some reasons why you need to understand he was upset. Number one, he obviously didn't believe there was any power in him or the God that he believed to do anything. Number two was he didn't even have a relationship with the prophet of Israel that he could bring him in and say, help this man. So there's some really interesting dynamics going on. He didn't believe in this God and he really didn't have this relationship with the prophet who believed in God. The king, of, the king of Syria, or Amram, he, he expected that the, the king of Israel saw a much, uh, this guy that would have a much better relationship. He saw that he was, should have been in a better relationship with the prophet Elijah, but he wasn't because his relationship was kind of dry. He wasn't really allowed into the palace. You know, there's a lot of kings in, the, in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. There's 20 kings. And of the 20 kings, only five of them are actually kings that honor God. Only five. Three-fourths of them are saying that they do evil in the sight of God, in the sight of man. They're, they do evil things. Again, here's another teaching moment. It's easy for others to assume that we have a better relationship with God than we really do. You know that people come to church and they believe, oh, your title of pastor or elder or Sunday school teacher or deacon or whatever title you might have, worship leader or, you know, prayer warrior, community group leader, that because you have that title that you have a great relationship with God? But you know this, that titles mean nothing. My, my title in this church is pastor, one of the pastors, Jeremy, Kim, there's other pastors here but it has nothing to do with my relationship with God. I could be the worst person outside of church. So don't let a title stop you. But here we see this, this king thinking that, oh, the king of Israel, he, because he's the king of Israel and believes in this God of wonders, that he's got this title and he has this relationship with God. We can't assume because it makes something out of you and me that we can't say in church. You guys don't know that one? Okay, good. Just making sure we're awake here. Verse 8, but when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent a message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet in Israel. So now there, Naaman uh, is in town. And he's at the king's palace, and Elijah hears, hey, there's this guy looking for healing. And so Elijah says, hey, bring him over here. Why are you so upset? And he gently rebukes 
the king. Again, this guy is a higher ranking person and he gently rebukes him. And here's kind of what the rebuke looked like. He's, he's basically saying this crisis king that you have is because you have no relationship with the God of the universe. The God of Yahweh that can heal lepers. But it's a pointless crisis because he's telling the king you could have this dynamic relationship with God. You just choose not to. How many of us in church come to church, have our Bibles, could be ready to experience something, but realize I don't really have a relationship with God. Last week, uh, me and my wife uh, and uh, Kirsty led a group of high schoolers at a beach house in Channel Islands, and the amazing impact that God did on that weekend. By Saturday morning at 10 or 11 o'clock, the, the prayers that we prayed the night before had already been answered. Because God was moving in these young kids. And it was so cool and powerful. Yeah, that, uh, thanks for that really powerful clap for God because he does wonder murky miracles. But a side note is we have a high school group called Fireside at 7 o'clock uh, on, on Wednesdays. And it's a powerful ministry. These kids are starting to grow. We had about six graduate this year. But we know that God is working. And, and it's interesting to see God work in our youth because this generation believes in a big God. And we want to invite people to this relationship and experience the fire of God. So let's continue on this great story. So Naaman went with his, uh, with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elijah's house. So now Naaman's like, I, the king's not going to help me. I'm going to go to this other guy's house, and this guy actually might have the power to heal me. But Elijah sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and then your skin will be restored, and you will be healed uh, of your leprosy. So here... We've talked about an unexpected illness. This great man, mighty man of valor, has this illness. Then this girl comes and brings this unexpected love. And now we see this unexpected humbling moment. I don't know if you guys realize this, but this man, Naaman, had a lot of honor and prestige. So much so, the king gave a million dollars to get him healed. It would be like sending a prime minister from a country to another one and saying, hey, help this man. Whatever money you need, we will help. That's the kind of prestige. But Elijah hears him, and he doesn't even get off the couch and take the, put the remote down. He goes, hey, just tell him to go wash himself in the river a couple of times. He's humbled. Do you know that God unexpectedly humbles us constantly? Because most of us Live a prideful life, and we need to be cut down a little bit. Because pride stops us from having that beautiful relationship with God. And so one of the things that he does before this story continues is he cuts him down with this unexpected humbling. He was a great man of God, I mean a great man of honor, and now he's getting humbled before God does something in his life. Elijah doesn't welcome him in, he just uh, sends him this message. And what it says is, he says to go and wash yourself in this Jordan River. And this is an unexpected solution. Now, in about five months, about 30 of us, this number keeps growing. We're going to be heading to Israel. And it's one of my favorite places to go to the Jordan River and baptize people. I got a picture of this baptismal. And it's one of the best parts of me going to Israel is this, this, this Jordan River part because it's so beautiful and pristine. I guess we don't have a picture, but if you did see it, it's one of my favorite places. But on this place, the Jordan River, look how beautiful it is. 
But the truth is, that's a tourist attraction. Because the Jordan River actually looks like this. There's another picture. That's actually the real Jordan River. That is the Jordan River we're going to get baptized, but it's touristy and built up. Every time in northern Israel you see the Jordan River, it looks muddy and murky. It's this little small river you wouldn't even think is something great. And so now there's this unexpected solution that is happening. Now, here's my story. The miracle that happened in my life, and I've told this about three or four months ago about my mom and having her whole church prep. That he would go to AA meetings, that he would be a speaker at AA meetings, and not just at AA meetings, but God, that he would begin to speak your word. And here's the thing, the Bible says, and I, I, I wrote this, this scripture down, it says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And so it was like God's will was to see this man inspiring and encouraging people and by speaking his word. That wasn't my idea, that was God's idea, but he shared it with me. And I began to speak it out. Now, you got to know that in, in this time, I mean, I remember the day I got the news. This was really weird. I got the news. Jeff is locked up. And instead of being like, oh, man, I'm so sad that my brother's in jail. Trust me, I was sad that my brother was in jail. But for some reason, I had this peace in my heart. And I'm like, this is a good thing. This is God's answer to our prayers. Because guess what? Not only, was, not only did my mom have Crossroads Community Church praying, but those missionaries down there in Mexico, they were praying for my brother too. And so I'm telling you, there are times when you get to see God's hand move in a powerful way. And I, obviously you guys can tell that that prayer was answered. Why? Because it was the Holy Spirit praying through me God's will for Jeff's life. Isn't that awesome? Thank you so much for listening. So one young girl many years ago allows the Holy Spirit to lead her to a youth group, and that starts to change her life. And now I receive part of the unexpected solution, which is a group of people interceding for a soul that really is rotting and dying one inch at a time because of the sin in my life. And listen, every time I go to Mexico... I take this picture of this valley. There's this place called Zaremba. And every time I go, I get to this spot right next to a church, and I was looking through pictures. And there's this walkway. My sister's walking in that valley right there and praying for me. And I was scrolling through pictures from, I don't know, 2006 or 7, 3, whenever I started going. And every time I go, I've got 15 or 20 or 30 pictures of this valley because this valley is where God met my sister and the Holy Spirit met me in a jail cell. And so because of that moment, we have the opportunity. So there's something powerful here in this picture. And I just now figured out the unexpected solution when I was looking through it. This is an important place to me because this is where God spoke this into existence from my sister. And it met me hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And that's how God works. If you're here today, I'm sure you didn't expect something 
or, 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 or I don't know what you wanted, but just truly believe that God can do the unexpected. Let's continue this story about what God is doing in Naaman's life. But Naaman became angered. So the, in verse 10, he's like, hey, go dip yourself in this nasty Jordan River. But now he's angry. He's like, I don't want to do that. And so here's what he says. He stalks away. I thought he would certainly come out and meet me, he said. I expected to wave his hand over the leprosy and call in the name of the Lord and heal me. Don't we believe that in church? Don't we just, hey, can't I just come to church and get a cup of coffee and sit and I should be healed? That's what we believe. Can't you just wave your hand like this, like you just don't care? Oh, that's a song that we used to sing. And expect healing? But sometimes, if you've listened to the miracle stories that we've talked about all summer, sometimes there's a part that you have to do which is sit and wait and watch God work and bring some unexpected healing. Here is what he says. Aren't the rivers of Damascus or Albania or Albana, sorry, and Farpar better than the rivers of Israel? Why should I wash, and, uh, wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and in, went enraged. So now he's got this unexpected disobedience. He's enraged. Why, why can't he just... Put a little bit of water on my head and heal me in the name of Jesus right now. And we get like that in church today. Our church is filled with pride. And I'm not just talking journey. It's here. But the church that we believe in all over the world is riddled with pride. And disobedience usually starts with pride. When we aren't obedient to God, we start having these disobedient mindsets, which is questioning, doubting. We got any complainers here? We start complaining. We want more. You know the spirit of pride gets, us in, gets into our life and it's like it's never enough. Man, church was so good last week. I felt God. The worship was great. The message was great. There was so much power. And then what do you want to do? You want to come back to church and do the same thing. It's like, oh, I want that same ribeye steak. Well, sometimes it's not how it works. Sometimes it works differently. We get pride into our life and we chase this feeling instead of chasing the God of the universe. You know, back in October, I was at a concert and God just was singing this song into my head. Just wait. Relax. Just wait. Relax. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that. And so then guess what God does? He makes you wait. I'm still trying to learn to relax, but I'm waiting. So that's what God does. And so pride, there's this unexpected disobedience. It really doesn't make any sense. And here's what verse 13 says, and this is really the funny part of the story. I don't know if you guys know this. God has a sense of humor. Yeah, that's the beauty of God. He has a great sense of humor, and he's really funny, and that's why he's put me up here. <laughs> to share his sense of humor. Yeah, thank you. Here's what it says. But his officers are now telling, he's having this conversation. But if his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, Naaman, if the prophet had told you something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? If he told you to scale uh, uh, the half dome at Yosemite, wouldn't you have done it? Something, you know, kind of mighty man of valor do? Something really cool? Hang gliding or ride a chariot through fire or something? Wouldn't you have done that, sir? That's what he's challenging him. And it says... He said, so shouldn't he surely obey when he says something simply, go and wash and be cured? Why wouldn't you do that? That's what he's saying here. And this brings us to that point of unexpected advice. 
You know, last week we were at the high school camp in this beautiful place in Channel Islands. And here's the thing. My daughter was part of the group. She just recently graduated. But my daughter was a part of the revival of spirit in my heart in the middle of COVID. If it wasn't for her and me sitting down and listening to that little 15-year-old's voice, I don't know where I would be today. Sometimes unexpected advice happens in those kids last week praying for me and, and experiencing God was so refreshing. But here's the thing. In this story, there's two plaints of unexpected advice. So don't let someone below you not speak into your life. Don't let people not speak into your life because of their circumstances. And in this story, you have this young captive girl and she then speaks into her master's life. And now you have a subordinate. Go and try and tell your boss or your CEO of your company that they don't know what they're doing and they're doing it all wrong. See how that works. But that's what this guy is doing. He's like, sir, I know, I know I'm a subordinate. I know I'm less than you in the hierarchy of the military. But doesn't it seem like it's ridiculous that you're not obeying here? And so verse 14, it says, So Naaman went down into the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God instructed. That word dip in the Greek actually means plunge. Anybody old enough to remember the nesty plunge? You get this glass of iced tea and you kind of sit back and you fall into a pool. The actual word means that he plunged, fully immersed himself into the Jordan River. That's what this word means, similar to baptism, that we fully immerse people into the Jordan River. And his skin became healthy as the skin of a young child and he was healed. Don't we all want skin of a young child again? I mean, that's a miracle in itself, but here we see this man who's dying one inch at a time and his skin goes back to the skin of a, of a young child, it says. You know, seven or eight years or older, you can get cut and it heals back and it's so robust. This is the miraculous part of the story, that he dips himself into the water and he's finally obedient and it brings this unexpected healing. Now listen, I'm pretty sure that when this guy first talked to this girl about the healing, he didn't expect it to really work. He just like, I got nothing to lose and I've got everything to gain. And that's the purpose of this message. Expect the unexpected. Too often we come to church and we don't expect that. We expect something for ourselves instead of the unexpected. Maybe you're at church for that person next to you. Or maybe you're at church to bring people to church so that the church and the people in your neighborhood can experience the unexpected. What's happened is, church, we're sitting on our hands and, 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 and our feet are not moving in the, gospels, in the gospel message. And what's happening is the church is slowly dying one inch at a time, one person at a time, because we're not inviting people back and making the church the solution of this world. If you talk to my sister, the church before 1932 was the, the mental facilities, the hospitals, it was the recovery homes, it was the place where people got food. If there was no food, they would come to the church. My grandma said her Christmas gifts, the only gift that my grandma would get was at the church. The house was poor. They didn't have it. The church used to be the solution. And now Christians, like us, have allowed other things to become the solution, said to God. And because of that, 
we're riddled with pride and arrogance and the church is slowly dying by the grapevine. In Luke chapter 4 verse 27, uh, there's this reference in the, in, in the gospel of Luke where it says, there were thousands of people in Israel with leprosy, but the only person that was healed in the Old Testament of leprosy was the guy from Syria who wasn't a Gentile, wasn't a believer. There was only one healing of leprosy. And it was this guy, Naaman, because God wanted to use him. And it was a foreshadowing of what was going to happen, that there was going to be a Savior that can heal everybody from the uncleanliness that they have in their life. And there was going to be cleanliness in this guy named Jesus Christ. Here's the moral of the story if you're here today. We're all lepers in our life until Jesus comes into your heart and soul. We're all lepers. We're, we all have this disease within us. Leprosy is a skin sickness, just like sin is a life sickness. And this is the message of this story, is this is a foreshadowing of Jesus coming into this world and cleansing us from the thing that's incurable. Sin is incurable apart from Jesus Christ. If you don't put Christ in your life, if you don't live for Christ, if you don't open up his word and put him first, you're going to live in this sin sickness and pride is going to let you drift away, away from God instead of close to God. Jesus can cure both leprosy and your sin issues. And it starts right now. And it doesn't mean that you have to say that you're a believer. Some of us need to just draw a line and say, I'm going to do, do more for God and less for myself. I'm going to do more uh, righteous things and less sinful things. I'm going to delete uh, my, my social media. I'm going to delete Netflix if it's causing a sin. I'm going to put down the drink. I'm going to put down the credit card. I'm going to live for something different than my life because I'm going to let Jesus reign in my heart. The end of the story, and I'm just going to paraphrase it because of time. So Naaman gets healed, and now he's got this young, beautiful skin like we used to have when we were kids. And he rushes back to Elijah, and he offers him gifts and says, you've got to take all this money. I brought all this money and all this gifts. You've got to take it because it's beneficial. Elijah says, you know, I don't, I don't live for money. We're in ministry. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't join ministry to get rich. I could have been a motivational speaker, and me and Anthony Robbins with his big teeth, we could have been making millions. But the truth is, I chose this, this, this way of Elijah, which is preach the gospel and not worry about money because I'm putting my faith that God is going to take me to where God wants to take me. And when my wife and me got married, God spoke to her very loudly and says, God's going to take us and he's got us no matter what. And we believe that. Even when our bank account's negative and low, we know that God has got us. And so here's what happened. Naaman goes back. He wants to give him the gifts. He doesn't give him the, he doesn't receive the gifts. And so uh, Naaman's like, well, can I take some of the ground? I'm going to take some of the dirt back to my country. And so he takes some of the dirt back and he says, hey, as I'm leaving, just know this, that I am never going to claim another God in my life. I am going to claim your God, the God of the universe. But here's the best part. He says, but Elijah, will you forgive me? Will you pardon me? He says, when I go back, my king is going to make me bow to this little G God of Remnah. 
When I do that, just know that I'm bowing to this God, not to his God, but I have to do it because he's above me. And so he claims this and he sees this and Elijah says, go in peace, God's got you. And it's a beautiful part of the story. The sad part is one of Elijah's men, a good righteous man that works with the prophet later, goes and meets Naaman on the way back and he says, I'll take some of that money. And because he took the money, he got leprosy. Because pride brings us to that sinful place. Remember at the beginning I talked about 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul knew this and here's what he said. For the foolishness of God is wiser than the human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The foolishness of man was to go back and receive this gift thinking that money was really going to solve it because I guarantee you the prophet of Elijah was living on nothing. And the guy's like, we could really use some of that money so we could eat ribeyes again. I'm tired of top ramen is what he's thinking. And here's what happens. He, he gets leprosy. That's the foolishness of man. But God's foolishness is even better than man. But here's what it continues to say, what Paul writes. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. That's me. Not many of you were influential. That's me. Not many of you were noble birth. That's me. But you chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. That's who I am. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. That's me. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things. That, that's me. Those that are not to nullify those that are. God chooses the less than to glorify the kingdom of God. He chooses those that aren't noble, those that aren't of high ranking, because those are the ones that are prideful and bang on their chest. But he brings us to this humble place, he says. So that no one can boast before him. It's not because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become us, who has become the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. It's not about us. It's about you allowing God to become your life. The righteousness, a right living, the holiness, a life living in the Holy Spirit, and a life living in redemption, walking away from your past and saying, that's who I was, that's not who I am. That happened, but that doesn't define me. My identity is in Christ, and whatever happened in the past doesn't define me moving into the future. So let's close with this. It's a quote. God does the unexpected things in unexpected places using unexpected people in unexpected ways. God does things differently. This is how our God works, is to expect the unexpected. Our God does things differently. So if you're sitting there and your marriage is kind of sour or not working correctly, don't believe that it's broken. Believe that God is at work doing something unexpectedly. If your relationship with your parents is not working, just know that God can use someone like you to transform your family for the gospel. If you're struggling in, in, in your workplace because your boss or your employees or whatever's an issue, just realize that God is going to do the unexpected. He doesn't do it in the way that we think. Well, I go to work and I snap my fingers and everything changes for my purpose. No, God is changing it for his purpose. We need to expect the unexpected. And when we have that mindset, we then can change. This story has great purpose. 
This story has the opportunity to open up our eyes to a young girl that speaks to her master and everything's changed. To a subordinate speaking to his boss and healing comes. To a person on stage that has a horrible past preaching to a church online, outside and indoors saying repent and watch your life change for the glory of God. And it all started with my sister walking into a different faith path than we were at. We were Christmas and Easter Christians, and my sister challenged us to become more. Do you remember that day that love saved you? Maybe that day's today. Do you remember that day that you drew a line in the sand and said, no more? No more. Maybe that day's today. Do you remember that moment? Yesterday we were driving, and I was listening to this song, and it's, just a tiny offering of your heart and soul and mind to change for what Christ did on the cross. All he's asking for is your heart, and it's a simple yes, and I will, and letting go of the pride. It's just a tiny offering on your part for what Christ did on the cross. Will you just bow your head and pray? Father, we ask that you use this text. And I ask that this text will actually make more sense an hour, five hours, and 24 hours later. I pray that there's great conversation at the table today, at, at, at the work site tomorrow, and, and in life with other Christians this week. I pray, Holy Spirit, that this story comes alive so that we can be redeemed. I pray right now, Lord, Holy Spirit, speak to us all. And I pray for that soul that's online. I pray for that soul that's inside or outside that needs a Savior, that needs love. If that's you today, all you have to do is give a tiny offering. And that's your heart. And all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And it will become true. So all you got to do is repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul. And be my Lord and Savior. You died on the, on the cross for me. And you rose three days later so that I can be in eternity. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit right now, Father. And teach me how to walk in all the ways of your life with you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.